بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So we're in the chapter Bab ma ja'a fi munkiri al-qadr The chapter regarding those who reject the decree The chapter regarding those who reject the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala The shaykh says هذا الباب عقده الشيخ رحمه الله ليبينه أن الإيمان بالقدر من الإيمان بربوبية الله This particular chapter the sheikh he has placed it here to highlight that belief in the decree it is a part of your belief in the rububiyyah of Allah Belief in the decree is part of your belief in the rububiyyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what is the rububiyyah? The rububiyyah, as we've mentioned before, it is the lordship of Allah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the one who created everything, created the heavens and the earth, He is the one who controls the heavens and the earth. He is the one who gives life and death. That is the rububiyyah, to single out Allah in His actions. Ifradullahi bi'af'alih. This belief in the decree is a part of that. And as you know, in the famous hadith of Jibreel, when Jibreel alayhi salam said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, أَخْبِرْنِي عَنِ الْإِيمَانِ Tell me about Iman. So the Prophet ﷺ replied to him and explained what Iman is. And he said, أَن تُؤْمِنَ بِاللَّهِ وَمَلَائِكَتِهِ وَكُتُبِهِ وَرُسُولِهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَأَن تُؤْمِنَ بِالْقَدَرِ خَيْرِهِ وَشَرِّهِ That Iman is Iman in Allah and in his angels, and in his books, and in his prophets, and in the day of judgment, and that you believe in the decree, it's good and it's bad. So belief in the decree is one of the pillars of Iman. This particular chapter now discusses regarding the ones who reject the decree. Before we go on to that, what is the belief of Ahlul Sunnah regarding the decree? If somebody says to you, as a Muslim, one of the pillars of Iman is Iman in the decree. So explain to me what the Iman in the decree is. What are you going to say? Whatever befalls you, so that you know, sort of pre, sort of preordained, and Allah already 
know some. So, to be content with it. So everything has been preordained and Allah is all aware of it. So to be content with the decree. Okay. What else though? Belief in the decree. Somebody asks you, tell me what is the decree? What is the Muslim's belief in the decree? One of your pillars of iman. Anything else? Anything else? For decrees from the actions of Allah not created. There are four things. Belief in the decree, you need to remember four principles. We've done it many times before. I'm sure we've done it multiple times. Belief in the decree, there are four basic points you have to remember. The belief of Ahlul Sunnah. In the decree comprises of four basic sections. The first of them is the knowledge of Allah. That the knowledge of Allah encompasses everything. Past, present and future. And more than just the past, present and future. What else? Allah's knowledge encompasses everything. Past, present, future and... Unseen. Unseen is the future. And the past, and, and the present. So everything which has happened in the past, Allah knows. Everything which is happening right now, Allah knows. Everything which will happen in the future, Allah knows. And even those things that will not happen, they did not happen. Had they happened, if they had happened, Allah knows how they would have happened. And they never happened. So even things that do not take place, they don't occur. They never occurred. They won't occur. But if, if they occurred, suppose, then Allah knows how they would occur. So that is the all-encompassing knowledge of Allah. Regarding the example of the ayah in the Qur'an, وَمَا تَسْقُطُ مِوَرَقَةٍ إِلَّا يَعْلَمُهَا There is not a single leaf that falls, except that Allah is aware of it. Al-Imam Al-Qurtubi mentioned regarding that, that Allah knows every leaf that falls off any tree on the face of the earth, how long it floats in the air, and where it lands on the ground. The exact details. So that is the knowledge of Allah. لا يخفى عليه شيء في الأرض ولا في السماء. Nothing is concealed from Allah in this earth nor in the heavens. That is the first basic part of your belief in the decree. That Allah's knowledge encompasses everything. Second basic part of your belief in the decree. That all of the decree was written down in the preserved tablet. In the preserved tablet. All of the decree was written down in the preserved tablet. That is the second part of the belief in the decree. In the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, كَتَبَ اللَّهُ مَقَادِيرَ الْخَلَائِقِ 
قبل أن يخلق السماوات والأرض بخمسين ألف سنة Allah wrote down the decree of all of that which is to occur before the creation of the heavens and the earth by 50,000 years. Before the creation of the heavens and the earth by 50,000 years, Allah wrote down the decree of all of that is to occur. In the other narration regarding the pen, when Allah created the pen, أَوَّلَ مَا خَلَقَ اللَّهُ الْقَلَمَ قَالَ لَهُ اكْتُبَ قال ما أكتب قال اكتب كل ما هو كائن إلى يوم القيامة أو كما قال that the pen when Allah created the pen Allah said to it write the pen said what shall I write Allah said write all of that which will occur which will happen up until the day of judgment so the second basic part of your belief in the decree is that all of it was recorded and written down in the preserved tablet. The third part of your belief in the decree Al Mashi'ah that nothing occurs except by the will of Allah. Masha Allahu Khan. وَمَا لَمْ يَشَأْ لَمْ يَكُنْ Whatever Allah wills occurs. And what He does not will, will not occur. The will of Allah, everything that occurs, it occurs by the will of Allah. Whatever Allah wills occurs, and whatever He does not will, does not occur. That is the Mashi'ah. And the fourth part, of your belief in the decree. Al-Khalq, that it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who created all of this decree. It is all the creation of Allah. So they are the four basic elements of your belief in the decree. First being that Allah's knowledge encompasses everything. The second being that all of it was written down in the preserved tablet. The third being that whatever Allah wills occurs, whatever He does not will does not occur. And fourthly, that all of this decree then everything, it is the creation of Allah. Allah creates it all. They are the four basic elements of your belief in the decree. That is something from the basics and the fundamentals everybody should know in regards to the belief in the decree. Then there are certain other issues, subsections of the understanding. We already mentioned that the whole of the decree was written down in the preserved tablet. The whole of the decree was written down in the preserved tablet. That is the whole of the decree. But then, there are subcategories of the decree. What are the subcategories of the decree? One of the subcategories of the decree, or you could say a more specific section of the decree, is the personal decree of every individual. 
the personal decree of every individual. And what is the personal decree of every individual? What is that? When is it written? What do we mean by the personal decree of every individual? That is... Uh. Sort of, but something more specific. There's a narration talking about your personal decree. When, where, there are specifics in a hadith. Hadith. In the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi, it's even there. We did it. We did all of the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi. The whole book. Yeah, is it whatever good you do is uh, from Allah, whatever... The actions, the results, the actions, the evil you do, is uh, from our own mm, mm, mm. So this hadith, where it is mentioned, the famous hadith, One of you, when you are created, when you are born, you are initially gathered together in the womb of your mother for 40 days, as a blood clot. Then 40 days as... Or initially as a drop, and then as a blood clot, and then as a morsel of flesh. Those initial 40 day periods until you come to 120 days. Then what happens at 120 days? فَيُرْسَلُ إِلَيْهِ الْمَلَكِ An angel is sent to that individual who is still in the womb of his mother. After 4 months, 120 days. And then what does the angel do? Blows the soul into that child. And then, يُؤْمَرُ بِكَتْبِ أَرْبَعِي كَلِمَاتِ The angel is commanded to write down four things regarding that child. Those four things are, his lifespan, his provisions for his life, his actions, whether he will be from the wretched or whether he will be from the successful. That is your personal decree for your life. And of course, what the angel writes down at that time, after four months of conception, that writing is not different to what is in the preserved tablet. It is just a subsection of it. It is from the same as what is in the preserved tablet. But that is your personal decree then. What other subsections of the decree are there? The annual decree. What is the annual decree? Every year. Laylatul Qadr. Laylatul Qadr in Ramadan. It's mentioned about the decree for the year being written. And that is a subsection of the overall decree. Not something different to the preserved tablet. And also... There is a daily decree. It's mentioned in the Quran regarding the daily decree that Allah decrees an affair or the affairs every day. And so all of these are like subsections of the overall decree. Then also regarding the decree, we come to an important issue, which is 
if everything has already been decreed before mankind was even created, your place in hellfire, your place in paradise, it has all been decreed and written and it is all known to Allah. Then why and how do you do your actions? As the narration says, female amal. What are we doing our actions for if everything is already written down? Everything is already decreed. Like the hadith said, كَتَبَ اللَّهُ مَقَادِيرَ الْخَلَائِقِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَخْلُقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ بِخَمْسِينَ أَلْفَ سَنَةِ So then the sahaba, they said to the Prophet ﷺ, إِذَنْ فِيمَا الْعَمَلِ What are we doing these actions for? Then what, how, if the decree has already been written, and my place in hellfire and paradise has already been written? So what is the answer? The answer is, as Allah said in the Qur'an, وَمَا تَشَاءُونَ إِلَّا أَنْ يَشَاءَ اللَّهُ رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ You do not will to do anything unless or accept that Allah has willed first. Meaning the decree is written. But does that mean we have no choice? Are we compelled or do we have choice? Are we compelled or do we have choice? We have choice. Because this choice, it comes from two things. There are two characteristics that Allah has given us. And as a consequence of those characteristics, you are able to make choice. Of course, the choices that you make, Allah already knows. Of course, the choices you make, Allah already knows what choices you're going to make. And that's why Allah already knows whether you're going to be from the people of paradise or hell. Allah knows the choices you're going to make in your life. That's why it's already known. Allah knows already whether you're in paradise or hell. Allah knows everything. The choices you make are already known to Allah. Yet you have the ability to choose. Because Allah has given us two characteristics. They are intent, intention and physical ability. Intention and physical ability. If I want to turn over the page of this book, I want to turn over the page of this book. I need two things to be able to do that. The first is the brain and intention. I have to want to turn it over. If I don't think to myself to turn over the page, I have no reason to turn it over. So I don't decide to turn it over. So I'm not gonna turn it over. I need to make that intention in my mind first, the decision in my mind, I want to turn over the page now. You got to have that intent in your mind to do it. If I don't have the intent to do it, I don't feel like turning over the page, then the page doesn't turn over. I don't feel like turning it over. I'm not making any intention to turn it over. But firstly, if I make an intention, I want to turn it over. That's part one. It doesn't just turn over by itself. If I make an intention to turn it over, I need the second part, which is physical ability. If I have the physical ability now, I can turn it over. I've made a decision in my mind, I want to turn it over. I have the physical ability to then carry out that intention and turn it over. 
Those two characteristics allow you choice. The ability to make your intent and then the physical ability to carry it out. If one of those two is missing, then you can't do it. Now I have physical ability to turn over these pages. But if I don't make an intent to do it, then even if I've got the ability, I'm not going to turn over the page. I've got the ability, the physical ability, but I'm not making the intent. One of the two is missing, so the action doesn't occur. I've got the intent. I've got that now. I want to turn over the page. But somebody has tied my hands and all of me, my body to this chair, I can't get to the book. I've got an intent to turn over the page, but I physically cannot get to the book to do it. Even blowing, it's not turning over the page. So now I've made the intent, but I don't have the ability, so it can't be done. But when you have intent, and you have ability, then you can do things. Allah has given you intent, the intention, and Allah has given you ability. Hence, therefore, you can make the intentions in your mind, and then you can physically do those things. That's why, a person who does good deeds, he does his obedience to Allah, he does so how? Makes the intention in his mind, that he wants to get up now, he wants to make wudu, he wants to pray for the sake of Allah. And so then he goes and does it. Because he has the physical ability to do it. Another person makes an intention in his mind, I'm not going to pray. He makes the intention in his mind, he's not going to pray. Instead he decides to use his mind to make an intention to go play instead. So he uses his intent to make a decision against prayer and instead to go do something else, then uses his physical ability to go and do it. So did he make the choice or not? He made the choice. He had the ability to make the intention for worship, had the physical ability to go and do it. Instead, he chose to abandon that choice and chose to go for the choice of wasting his time somewhere else, missing and abandoning the prayer and used his ability to go and do it. That's why you will be held accountable upon your actions. No, even in circumstance. You're walking down the street and all of a sudden... Somebody trips and falls over. You never thought to yourself when you left your house, today I'm going to find somebody who trips up and pick him up. You never thought that. But circumstance, it happens in front of you. So there and then you make the intention to help them. You've done both. You've made the intent to help them. And you've then physically done it. Because there and then you could have still made the intent. Forget him and walk off. So you're still rewarded upon those actions where you make your intention and you do it. For that reason, you'll be held accountable upon your actions. Because you are the one who makes the intent of what to do, and then you are the one who physically carries it out. The point though is, all of the intentions that you make and then physically carry out, those decisions that you make, those choices that you make, they are all known already to Allah, which choices you're going to make in your life. Today, you all made the choice, there's a lesson, and you had the physical ability, you came to it. When you pray, Maghrib coming up, 
You all make the intent, you know it's the time for the prayer. You make the intention, I'm going to pray. You then use your physical ability to make wudu and go and pray. You made the choice to do this action and you went and did it. That's why you are held accountable upon the actions that you do. It is your intention that you make and the choice that you make and what you carry out. The point though is Allah already knows all of the intentions and choices you're going to make during your life. Therefore, it is already known to Allah what your end result will be, whether paradise or hell. But do you know what choices and intentions you're going to make during your life yet? You don't. So as every moment in your life comes along, you have no choice other than to keep striving and make the good choices. You don't know what your end result is, whether it is hellfire or paradise, you don't know that. So all you can do is keep striving for paradise. Keep making the choices and the decisions and carrying out obedience and worship to Allah, striving for paradise. That's all you can do. That's what you do. And that is what the test is. Allah the one who created death and life to test you. Which of you is the best in actions? Hence, we are not like the people of innovation who claim, like the Jabariyyah, they say we do not have choice. We don't have this choice to do things. We are compelled. It was written in the decree and we are compelled. That is a mistake. Yes, it was written in the decree. 50,000 years before creation, it was written down the choices you were going to make. But at the moment when you make the choice, are you compelled to make that choice? When you get up to pray for Maghrib now, is somebody going to come with a gun and compel you to do it? Or do you get up and go and pray? You get up and make the choice yourself. But that choice you make, this choice you made to come to the lesson, it was already known to Allah 50,000 years before creation and written down. So to Allah, He knows already the choices you're going to make. But to you, you don't. At the moment, in that time, you make those choices. You make the choice of obedience or disobedience. You make the choice of sticking to the halal or going into the haram. You make that intent, you make that choice and you carry it out. Allah already knows what choices and intentions and actions you're going to carry out. Hence, it is already known where you will be in paradise or hell. But for you, all you can do is keep making the good choices and carrying out the actions. So we're not like the Jabariya who claim that we are compelled and we have no choice. It is like the narration of an individual who came uh, at the time of one of the uh, Al-Khulafa Al-Rashidin. One of the Khulafa Al-Rashidin, at his time, there was an individual who used to drink alcohol all the time. And they used to uh, punish him for drinking alcohol all the time. But he kept on doing it. So on one occasion, he was caught drinking alcohol again. So the people, they took him to the ruler. Umar ibn Khattab, uh, as he mentions in one narration. So when they took him to the ruler, the ruler said to him, Why? Why do you keep doing it? Drinking alcohol all the time. You've been punished for it. You carry on doing it. The guy replied and said, But, it's out of my control. It's out of my hands. I drank alcohol, I was caught. 
But was it decreed? Was it decreed 50,000 years ago before creation that on this day I was going to drink alcohol and get caught? Was it? It was. But is that a justification? It isn't. Because at the moment of that action taking place, it was you who made the intent and the physical raising your hand to the glass and pick it up and drink it. You did that. You made that choice and you physically did it from that choice of yours. It was you. You could have you could have made the intention. I'm not going to do it and stay away from it. So when he said that, he said, look, it was compelled, decree. It was a decree. I was meant to drink alcohol on this day and get caught. Decreed. So then it's mentioned that the Khalifa whipped him. That's the, the ruling upon the one who drinks alcohol. Whipped him and said, well, it was also decreed that on this day you were going to get whipped. And that's why the scholars, they say, a person who tries to use the decree as a justification, as a justification for his actions of evil, a person who tries to use the decree as a justification for his sinning, he commits a sin and then says, well, it was decreed. I learned from you guys that everything was decreed 50,000 years before creation. So yesterday that sin that I did, it must have been decreed, I was going to do it yesterday. You can't use that type of justification and argument. Because yes, it was decreed. But at the moment before the action occurred, it was you who made the intent and you who physically did it. You did that, you made the intention to do it. Allah has given you that ability. You could have made the choice, okay, I'm not going to do it, stay away from it. But you made the choice to do it. So you can't use the decree as a justification for your sins. And that's why the scholars, they say, a person who uses the decree as a justification for his sins, that same person would not use the decree as a justification for harm that occurred to him. A person who says, when he misses the prayers, well, it was decreed that I wasn't going to pray yesterday. If that person's house was robbed, and all of his goods were taken, all of his property was taken, then would that same person, when he comes home and sees what's happened, say, well, it was the decree that my house was going to get robbed today, no big deal. Would he say that? He wouldn't. Now he would say, look what's happened quick, phone the police, do this, do that. Why doesn't he just say, well, it was the decree then? Just like he keeps saying, he misses all his prayers and drinks alcohol. Well, it was the decree I was supposed to do that yesterday. Then why doesn't he say it was the decree my house was supposed to be robbed? No big deal, forget it. Now he won't say it's the decree. Now he'll want to do action. Find them, ring the police, look at the cameras. So if you want to do action when harm comes to you, why don't you do action when it comes to worship? You have to do action. You have to make the intent and do your worship and do your action. So the point of that is, that we're not like the Javariyah, who claim that we are compelled to do what we do. Because if you were compelled, then upon what basis would the people of paradise enter paradise? And upon what basis do the people of hellfire enter hellfire? That would be injustice. A person is compelled to do haram in his life, and therefore ends up in hellfire to be punished, for something he was compelled to do anyway. And a person enters paradise for the obedience that he was compelled to do anyway then it wouldn't be accurate. It is not compulsion in that way. 
Rather, you are the one who makes the choice for the good and you make the choice for the evil in your lives. Allah has given you that intent and He's given you that ability. The only point is, these choices you make during your life, good or bad, Allah already knows what choices you're going to make in your life. And that's why it is already known whether you will end up in paradise or hell. You don't know that though. You don't know what choices yet. You don't know where your place is. So all you can do therefore is strive for paradise. So when the companions, they said to the Prophet Amal, what are we doing our actions for then if everything's be written? Then the Prophet said, Kullun muyassarun lima Everybody, it will be made easy for him, his pathway. If you make your choices for good and obedience, that will be made easy for you, that pathway. Upon good and obedience and choices of worship. And if you make your intent upon evil, that opens up for you evil all your life, end up in the hellfire. So that is the basics regarding the decree. How much time do we have? Ah. It can be, it can be, possibly those types of things can be. A person dies as a martyr if he's killed, uh, killed for his blood or uh, killed for his wealth, etc. There are narrations regarding it. It's possible, it's possible. It's possible that you've been killed by the enemies, it could be. But those, those details that are mentioned in uh, some of the books regarding those particular issues, it's a, a slightly different topic. Here the first narration. Qala ibn Umar. والذي نفس محمد والذي نفس ابن عمر بيده لو كان لأحدهم مثل أحد ذهبا ثم أنفقه في سبيل الله ما قبله الله منه حتى يؤمن بالقدر. In this narration, Ibn Umar, Abdullah ibn Umar ibn al-Khattab, رضي الله عنهما. He says, by the one whom my soul is in his hand. Meaning he's taking an oath by Allah. Taking an oath by Allah. If one of you was to give gold equivalent to Mount Uhud in charity, if one of you was to give gold equivalent to Mount Uhud in charity, in the path of Allah, sincerely for Allah, Allah would not accept that from you until, unless you believe in the decree. Until, unless you believe in the decree. Meaning, if you do not believe in the decree, even if you gave charity, gold, equivalent to Mount Uhud, it would still not be accepted from you. That charity of yours, sincerely for the sake of Allah, gold, equivalent to Mount Uhud, would not be accepted from you if you do not have Iman in the decree. The reason why Ibn Umar said this, is because at his time, during the time of Ibn Umar, there were people who arose, people who emerged, that rejected the decree. There were people who used to reject the decree. During the end of the lifetime of Ibn Umar, such a people emerged. Such a people came about that they would reject the decree. 
So when Ibn Umar was asked about them, these people who reject the decree, what do you say? This is one of the examples he gave. Those people who reject the decree, even if they gave equivalent to Mount Uhud in gold, it would not be accepted from them if they are rejecting the decree. It is mentioned that in Basra, it was in the area of Basra, towards the end of the lifetime of the companions of the uh, Al-Khulafa al-Rashidin, and after the Khilafah of Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan, uh, at the end of the lifetime of Ibn Umar and Ibn Abbas, uh, that these people or a man, a particular man in specific, emerged, the one named as Ma'bad al-Juhani. Ma'bad al-Juhani, he rejected the decree. And there's a famous narration where Yahya ibn Umar and Humayd ibn Abdurrahman al-Himyari, that they came across these people uh, rejecting the decree, so then they said, we will ask the first of the companions whom we come across. سَنَسْأَلُ أَوَّلَ مَنْ نَلْقَى مِنَ الصَّحَابَةِ وَهَكَذَا الْمُسْلِمُونَ قَدِيمًا وَحَدِيثًا إِذَا أَشْكَلَ عَلَيْهِمْ شَيْءٌ يَرْجِعُونَ إِلَى عُلَمَائِهِمْ وَيَسْأَلُونَهُمْ And this is how the Muslims are from old and new. Whenever any problem arises, they return to the people of knowledge. So they said, that the first companion we come across, we will ask him regarding this affair. So then it's mentioned that the first one that they came across was Ibn Umar. And so they asked him this question regarding these people who reject the decree. So then Ibn Umar, he replied to them, even if one of them gave gold in charity for the sake of Allah, uh, in the path of Allah, in the path of jihad, one of the greatest ways of spending that charity, then even then it would not be accepted from them if they reject the decree. ثُمَّ اسْتَدَلَّ لِقَوْلِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ الْإِيمَانُ أَنْ تُؤْمِنَ بِاللَّهِ وَمَلَائِكَتِهِ وَكُتُبِهِ وَرُسُلِهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَتُؤْمِنَ بِالْقَدَرِ خَيْرِهِ وَشَرِّهِ Then he gave this evidence from the hadith of Jibreel, from the hadith of Jibreel, regarding the belief in Iman, the Iman and the six pillars of Iman, and that is what the Shaykh is going to explain in some level of detail, and that is what we'll begin with the next time, that section from the hadith of Jibreel, talking about Iman and the various aspects of Islam, Iman, Ihsan. We'll start on that point, inshaAllah, from next week. And we'll conclude upon that for today. Sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Any questions?
just imagine when you made that split second intention that you have to do everything for the intention to get rewarded to you have to do it for Allah's sake so just imagine because it's a split second thing and you never made that intention do you still get rewarded for that? no even then even the split second thing you're picking that person up why? somebody falls down in front of you you're picking them up helping them why? It is, your intention is for a good action. This is a good deed. Your intention in your mind, it's a good deed. I'll pick this person and help them, it's a good deed. Your intention is there for the good deed, and that's the reward upon it. Hmm. Uh, going back to that one, uh, Abu Allah, you know, when somebody dies like, in the country, but I think to die the mark, you've got to be on the, you've got to be a Muslim in it, you can't be like a Muslim. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah. Kafir doesn't count for that. Yeah. How can a Kafir be a, a Shaheed? That's the complicated one. We did it once before. If somebody makes an intention, for example, to do a good deed, but you never get round to it, or you make an intention to do an evil deed, but then you don't do it. What's the ruling on that? Mm-hmm. Basically, there's a, a, a narration again in the 40 hadith, we did it, talking about this issue of the intention. And when you make an intention to do evil, but you don't do it, it depends. If you made an intention to do evil, for example, some evil sin you were going to do, but then you never did it, not because you repented, but because you were unable for example, you made somebody made an intention, they're going to go to a nightclub. So they get ready, they go outside, they go to it, but it's closed. So they never got to do it. They never did the evil action. But not because they repented and didn't want to do it, because they were unable to do it in the end. That's different compared to somebody who makes an intention, but then repents and stops himself from doing it. And as for the good one, somebody who makes a good intention, is unable to do it, then there is a mention in the sunnah of how you can still get reward for that. Somebody sincerely desires to do it. Especially the hadith it mentions about a person who does good deeds, a person who does lots of good deeds and worship, when he gets ill, when he gets ill, obviously when you're ill you can't do all of the good deeds you were doing when you're healthy. Or when he goes traveling, then you can't do all of the good deeds you were doing too. Maybe nawafil prayers, lots of things you normally do, you can't do it when you're traveling. In the hadith it mentions what? He'll still get reward for it. Even during your illness, because now you're unable to pray a night prayer, for example, due to your illness. That's something you normally do. Regular. A couple of days you're ill, you're unable to do it, you'll still get rewarded for it. Of course, that's something it mentions what he used to be doing already. If he weren't doing it, then that's different. Before him, so you forget Allah for a bit. So all the hasanat that you're getting from reading each letter, 
Does it go into vain if you made over afterwards? And no, with, with that kind of example, that it's, it's not clear cut like that. Competition is good. Competition is good. As long as you maintain your intention that overall it is for the sake of Allah. Because this competition then helps you to do your work quicker. And the scholars used to mention that. Having that type of uh, low level type of competition amongst the students is something good. Because then that helps you, motivates you. Motivates you to work hard. So everybody in the class, the teacher sets them a task, for example. Who can memorize this particular juz of the Qur'an the fastest? I'll give you a reward. For example... So now there's competition between the students. Everyone wants to beat everybody else. But still, overall, as long as your intention is maintained, you're still memorizing the Qur'an for the sake of Allah. This competition now, it's something which motivates you to do it even quicker. That type of thing isn't haram in of itself like that. But if it gets to the level where now a person is thinking, he's only doing it for the sake of that prize. Teacher tells him 100 pounds, you have to memorize it first. His intention is just that 100 pounds. That's all you can see. Now it's wrong. But uh, if your intention is maintained, it is for the sake of Allah what you're doing. Like uh, in Medina, when the students were studying, everything is studying for the sake of Allah, you're studying that knowledge. But there's that competition. Because they used to give you marks, and, they, and then, then your, your gradings and your listings, and there's competition between the students. But that all, that all motivates you to study hard. Overall, your studying isn't for the sake of the grade, and for the sake of the certificate and things. But it's a motivation, as uh, some of the scholars mentioned. Hmm. The whole prayer? If you break your wood in the middle of the prayer, you come back and do the whole prayer again. You've got to do the whole prayer. Because no? some people, you know, I've seen them in Jamaat, they just join up and finish with the Imam. When the Imam finishes, they finish. How can you do that? If your wudu breaks in the middle of the prayer, you go make wudu and come pray again? So they join, you know, like they've come back and they've joined the Jamaat, so they pray with the Jamaat. That's like tawaf, tawaf you can do that kind of thing. So whatever record they've missed while they yeah, so if somebody's in the jama'ah for Isha, for example, and they break the wudu in the second rak'ah, and they go quickly make wudu come back, and the Imam is just starting his third rak'ah. So now, how many of the caught? How many of the, if they come back and catch the Imam beginning the third rak'ah, how many are they going to catch? Third and the fourth, two. So they got to get up at the end and pray. Two more. That is four. They're going to catch two with the imam yeah, yeah, and they're going to get up and pray two more. Two so four more. together. Huh? Yeah. Okay, round off there then. Next week then, inshallah. <laughs>